This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. We're going to talk about seven facts. He's boiled it down to seven facts, folks, all about debt you probably didn't know. So if you were faced with a debt problem, would you know all your legal rights, options, and remedies? A lot of consumers, not obvious just how complex debt can be until facing the uncertainty of how to deal with it. So Blair's going to highlight the importance of seeking qualified support, sharing some facts about debt issues that maybe you don't know all about. We've talked before, Blair, about the uh, the SANS catchphrase, knowing is not owing. So can you start us off with some debt facts that really highlight this for folks and, and maybe they haven't heard before? Oh, certainly. I'm excited for today's um, segment as well, because I'm sure there's more than seven key things, but these are probably the top seven that I see people coming in consistently in consultations where, you know, we're really happy to educate, and, you know, the more that we can get the word out to others who might not even need to see us for a consultation, but just need to know this in their life, you know, that that's success to me. So one thing that I often get, get asked about is, you know, sometimes it's a family going through a very tough situation, and they think that their personal debts might turn into a family issue if they're not able to pay all their debts off as they had planned, or if they pass away. So essentially the question of can you inherit debt? We get tons of calls on that all the time and sometimes it's after people have already taken some steps to say, well I know I'm going to inherit this debt anyway so I've liquidated this asset or that, was that the right thing to do? And the first thing we're going to say out of the seven today is that relationships alone, family relationships, uh, they do not automatically create responsibility for debt. So a family does not inherit a personal liability for paying your debt just because they're related to you. Uh, If you have an unpaid debt when you pass on, your creditor can try to make a claim on your estate. So if there is, you know, um, some asset that you had when you passed on, yes, those assets have the right to be sold to pay debts. But if there's no assets in your estate, there's nobody else that can be held responsible for that. Now, the exception to this is if there is a co-signer or a co-borrower joint type of an account, you know, that's where things could have some shared liability. But for the most part, if someone has some debt and they pass on, unless it was a jointly held debt when they were alive, there's no way that it suddenly becomes a joint debt when they had passed on. Okay. And that includes spouses too? Yeah, that's a good point to add there, Elaine. So yeah, it, a lot of people think if you marry somebody, you marry their debt. And we've talked about this for a number of segments in the past, but it's completely false. You don't marry someone's debt. And it's not the case that if someone had a significant debt, you know, say a husband owes a huge student loan, the government can't suddenly come to the wife and say, well, now you're married. I need you to start paying this student loan. So the debts remain separate, even though you're married. Now, again, there's a a difference. If you start getting joint debts together, you start borrowing things together. Of course, that's, you know, the obligation of both of you. But strictly speaking, each person's debts are their own debts, even if they're married. Okay. And you mentioned it, you mentioned about a joint debt. Uh, I think it's always so important to talk about co-signing because often that's the first thing that folks suggest they do to help somebody in their family Mm -hmm. or a close friend. And you are not a fan of that process. 
note in uh, my book I wrote a few years ago, uh, there's a big page that says, when is it wise to co-sign a debt? Almost never. I've heard very few situations where it is wise. You know, maybe okay, it's a small student loan for the last semester of school. You know you've got the job already lined up. You'll be able to pay it back and you need your parents to co-sign. That was my example, and it worked out. But uh, for the most part, uh, when you co-sign a debt, most people don't think about the eventuality. If that original borrower can't pay it off, they're going to be on the hook for 100% of that debt. Um, you know, most people think if you're co-signing a debt, at most it's 50-50 liability or, you know, first they have to go and really chase that person down and make sure they can't get anything. No, if there's a default in that agreement, um, they can come to all of the borrowers for full payment. It's called joint and several liability. And there could be credit rating impacts on that as well. If the account's not getting paid on, on as according to plan and you're just the co-signer, it could be reporting on your credit as well. The payments aren't getting made. So I've seen situations where people have so regretted co-signing a debt because then when they need to deal with their debt situation, they're leaving the co-signer in a very tough financial situation. So I generally recommend against getting a co-signer for any debts or being a co-signer. I also recommend the exercise caution if you're getting a supplementary card on a credit card account. Really look at the cardholder agreement and make sure you're not signing on to be responsible for any previous balances or any purchases that you don't make. In some cases, you are signing on for both of those responsibilities. I want to throw in here, too, that if you already know that you need to take some action and you need to get some help uh, with to, to solve your debt issue, give Sands & Associates a call. The phone number, again, is 1-800-661-3030 or check the website sands-trustee.com. So, Blair, um, are there some further debt facts about what you can or what can and can't happen if you don't pay a debt that you want to include? Oh, for sure. There's a few here, Elaine, and the first one is one that can really, really impact someone in a serious way if they're not anticipating this. It's called the right of offset, and what this is in simple terms, it's the right of a bank or another financial institution to recover money owed to them for an outstanding debt, so to basically get their debt paid back by taking money you have on deposit with them or an affiliated bank to pay the debt. So what it typically means is that if you've got a credit card at, you know, pick a bank and you also have your daily banking relationship there, it might be the day after you've deposited your paycheck and you're expecting to pay the rent the following day, your account's been swept clean because you've got a delinquent account balance and the bank just got tired of saying, hey, you're late on this payment, so on and so forth. We're within our rights to go into your account and basically clean it out if that's enough to satisfy the debt. So it can happen at the worst possible time, uh, and your bank could withdraw all the money in the account and leave you literally with nothing, and then your next payments, you know, your NSFs or your uh, regularly preauthorized payments, they might not be able to be funded, and then you're dealing with NSF charges, like for $50 a time. You can imagine insult to injury at that point. So the way that you deal with the right of offset is to not put yourself in that situation. So many banks, as you'll notice if you look at their marketing, everything under one umbrella, you know, we can do everything under the sun, and that gives them the ability, if you're borrowing from them, to come and take your assets without having to do anything. They can literally push a button within the bank, and that's about it. If you separate your borrowing and your daily banking, so wherever you put your paycheck in, you just don't have any credit relationship with them, you've frustrated that right of offset forever. That bank that you owe debt from, they could never go to another institution and suddenly take your money. They would have to do a whole legal process. It would take months. You'd see it coming a mile away. So it's the best practice for everybody just to not borrow where you do your daily banking. Such a, such a good piece of advice. Um, what about the time that a creditor has to collect their debt? Does that ever expire or does it just keep going on and on and on? 
Well, that's a big one too, Elaine, that a lot of people don't realize there is a time limit. There is a statute of limitation, so to speak. It's called the BC Limitation Act, and it limits the amount of time creditors have to take action to force you, which means to sue you for a debt that's open. And in BC, it's as little as two years. So it changed a number of years ago. It used to be six years. If you owe somebody money, they can threaten to sue you, you know, for six years. It changed a number of years ago. It's now two years. And the way that it's measured is two years after the date the debt was incurred, the date the last payment against it was made, or the date the last written acknowledgement of the debt by the person who owes the money, including an email, was made. So if two years have passed and you have not made a payment on the debt, you've not acknowledged the debt in writing, and nobody has taken legal action against you, um, this debt can become uncollectible. And what that means is that you could never legally be forced to pay this debt. If they tried to take you to court, your defense would be one sentence and it would be irrefutable. You'd say, BC Limitations Act, it's beyond two years, therefore they've got no right to do this, and you would win. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't owe the money anymore. So just because the limitation period has elapsed, it means they don't have the legal right to force you to pay the debt, but they can do other things to you. They can still call you. They can still harass you. They can still threaten you as much as the threats might be empty. They still might be made, and that can cause you some stress. Um, So the debt doesn't go away, but realistically, your risk towards the debt is significantly lower once the two-year limitation period has passed. So well, a couple things. You've got to be careful about making small payments because, you know, if you're 1.9 years into that limitation period and you make, you know, a $10 payment on that debt, you know, a good faith payment or whatever, you've now reset that clock back to zero and the two years starts again. And the second point here is to realize not all debts have limitation periods. Any amounts owing to the government, there's no limitation period for income tax or student loans or anything like that. So it is, and you know, things like alimony or maintenance, no limitations on those, but your typical consumer debts, there is a standard two-year limitation period. Okay, that's really important, especially that whole if you've had any correspondence with the with the uh, with the with the uh, person who's who who you're owing. I think that's fascinating. Well, yeah, sometimes your best bet is just to go silent. You know, if you know you can't pay the debt, it's not going to help you to pay $10 a month. You're never going to hit the limitations period. And sometimes saying nothing means that you're not going to incriminate yourself or not going to reset that that clock. So sometimes that can be a good action. And we'll give you advice on that if that's your best course. Now, you've got a nice segment here about Canada Revenue, uh, their agency debt collection. Uh, how does that work? Because I bet that's a little bit different than others. Yeah, the key takeaway there that people might not be aware of is, you know, some people are aware, hey, you've got to be sued for a debt before, you know, you can really have an impact against you, before your wages can be seized, before any assets can be taken from you, there needs to be a court action against you. You know, sometimes when people are made aware of that, they're like, okay, so when people are threatening, they can do something overnight. It just can't happen. The exception to that is Canada Revenue Agency. Because they are the government, uh, they don't have to go to court. They don't have to get an order. If you're delinquent on taxes, if you've been non-compliant, they can implement some pretty severe remedies just about overnight. Now, typically, it's not their first step. They're going to try to work with you, call you, you know, try to get you on board, or try to get you to work with a trustee to restructure the debt. Um, But if none of that works, they can do a wage or a bank account seizure very quickly. They can even place a lien on your personal property, start to seize assets from you. So with CRA, just be aware they can shortcut uh, other collection uh, avenues that other collectors would have to follow. And of course, at the end of the day, if you if you don't want to go or pay attention to all to any of those things that we've already talked about, and you just want to deal with your debt, and that that's when I come and see you, and and you've got some options for me. 
Well, exactly. So the best option that I always say people have never heard about, and hopefully more and more people are hearing about it, is the consumer proposal. So it allows you to consolidate your debts without borrowing, but also get those debts forgiven down to what you can actually afford. So quite often it's in the range of 30 to 50 cents in the dollar, maybe it's 25, 35, depending on the situation. But it can literally be somebody who owes $30,000 of debt with massive minimum payments, interest accumulating every month. It could be we reduce that down to, say, $9,000 of debt, you know, just under a third of the total, and they pay nothing extra on top of that. It's a payment they can afford based on their income, and they've avoided the bankruptcy proceeding, avoided getting caught in minimum payment traps for the next, you know, 15 or 20 years. So a consumer proposal is incredibly powerful. It's something everyone needs to be aware of if you find yourself in a situation where you're just trapped making minimum payments and you know it's going to take you a very long time to pay off the debt. I also, uh, if, if you're being hounded by uh, creditors and collection agencies, a consumer rep- proposal uh, would shut all of that down as well. Yep, dead in its tracks. As soon as you've signed, the trustee is appointed like a referee. You only deal with the trustee. You get protection from all of your creditors. That should be the number one reason that you would give Sands & Associates a call. As well, you can learn more about consumer proposals, debt consolidation, personal bankruptcy. Uh, you can explore all the different options if now is the time to take some action uh, to, to look after your debt situation. You can get your debt consultation with Sands & Associates easily. Appointments are available in person or remotely. Visit their website, uh, sands-trustee.com and give them a call, 1-800-661-3030. You're listening to Dollars and Cents here on CKNW. Going to talk about bankruptcy. Is bankruptcy right for you? Uh, considering personal bankruptcy to deal with unmanageable debt, there's lots of things that, it, 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 that are important for you to know before you make that next step. And the good news is that Blair's going to outline the personal bankruptcy process in British Columbia, as well as some key aspects of this often, and I would say I totally agree with you, Blair, it is often misunderstood. Bankruptcy has like this this awful connotation to it, and I'm not saying that it's a fa- fabulous, wonderful experience, but it is a very useful option for, for folks. Yeah, that's exactly right, Elaine. There's, there's been a negative stigma, and, you know, and I understand it's not something no one sets out to, to you know, have to declare bankruptcy, but it yeah. is a reasonable... Um, you know, it generally it's an option that, in a nutshell, it's not as bad as people think, and something that can be absolutely life-changing, allow you to get things back on track and start again fresh. So you'd never set out wanting to declare bankruptcy, but if you're in a very tough situation, it can absolutely be a lifesaver to get you back to zero. Excellent. Okay, so let's start. Can you explain what it means to declare bankruptcy in Canada uh, now versus, you know, a long time ago? Yeah, well, so... First off, it's generally pretty private. Um, so, you know, many years ago, every bankruptcy was in the newspaper. I think in the past year, maybe one or two of the thousands we have filed have appeared in the newspaper. So it's generally a pretty private process. So if you think not many people are filing bankruptcy because you don't see it in the newspaper, well, that's not the case. It's just a, it's generally a very straightforward and private process now. What personal bankruptcy is, the legal debt relief process available to you if you're struggling to pay off your debts and you need debt forgiveness. So personal bankruptcy means that you get legal protection from your creditors, and you're able to eliminate virtually all of your debts. 
So for most people, bankruptcy is very straightforward. You'll work with a licensed insolvency trustee only. There's no need for you to hire a lawyer. You don't have to make a court appearance to start the process and you know explain how tough things are and that you deserve this relief. None of that has to happen, and you don't need to get your creditors to give you permission to file for bankruptcy. So sometimes I have people in my office saying, well, you know, is the bank going to let me do this? I'm like, well, it's your option. It's not the bank's option. This is federal law that gives you the right to get this protection from your creditors. The overall goal of a bankruptcy, and this is right from the legislation, I do like this wording, it's to provide the honest but unfortunate person an opportunity to start fresh, free from the burden of unmanageable debt. So those two words, if you've been honest but unfortunate, then absolutely you are the person that this legislation is aimed at to help you get things back under control and from a financial point of view. Uh, when you meet with a licensed insolvency trustee, we never start at bankruptcy. Bankruptcy is the last resort, and over 80% of people that come to see us, they're successfully able to avoid a bankruptcy by filing a consumer proposal, which they consolidate the debt, pay back a reduced amount. We've got some really great information. We're going to talk with that in other segments, but for about the 20% of people that do need to file for bankruptcy, you know, the benefits of doing so are they get full forgiveness for just about every type of debt. They protect their assets and their income from creditors, including stopping any wage garnishments immediately. They stop the stress of debt and the overwhelming payments. And then finally, they get that fresh start where they'll be able to start again, owing nobody anything, start to rebuild and have a better financial future. In many situations, bankruptcy is going to be advantageous. It's often the least expensive and quickest means of getting out from under a huge unmanageable debt burden. Uh, what kind of time does it take? What's the length uh, that a bankruptcy usually asks? Yeah, I'm so happy to, to give the clarity on that, Elaine, because a lot of people think, you know, bankruptcy is a life sentence or it's at least seven years, so on and so forth, and it absolutely is nothing like that. So for most people, they're in bankruptcy for a period of as little as nine months. So the scenario is nine months is most common where you've never been bankrupt before. There's no opposition to your creditors to you finishing bankruptcy. So no one can object to you starting bankruptcy. But, you know, if you borrowed $100,000 two weeks before you file bankruptcy, you can bet that that person who's owed $100,000 might have some objections. But assuming that's not the case, you've completed all of your duties. And there's a means test in a bankruptcy based on your household income and household family size. And if you're considered low income, uh, bankruptcy can finish in as little as nine months. If you're not considered low income, there's a year's difference. Bankruptcy would run for 21 months if you've never been bankrupt before. Uh, once you're in bankruptcy, all your debts are frozen, so no one's able to pursue you for payment or take any payments from you. Um, and then once you finish the bankruptcy, all those debts are legally discharged, which means they're forgiven. They can never get attached to you in the future. You know, Our goal at Sands & Associates is that you have a stress-free, no-surprises experience, which means that you exit bankruptcy on time without it costing a dollar more than it has to. And the way that we achieve that is we just try to be really clear with you about you know, what you have to do during the bankruptcy to successfully come out the other side, one of those key bankruptcy duties. Okay. Um, can you, if, can people file bankruptcy more than, if they file bankruptcy more than once, are there different timelines involved for them at that point? 
There are, yeah. So if you file bankruptcy, you know, theoretically, there, there's no limit to the number of times you can file for bankruptcy, but reasonably, I've seen people file for three times, that's, that's been the highest. Uh, but generally, if you're filing a second bankruptcy, it is going to take longer. So a second bankruptcy, where a first bankruptcy can, can be as little as nine months, a second bankruptcy is at least 24 months or two years. And if you're not low income, a second bankruptcy lasts for a year longer, which is 36 months. So there's a ton of numbers we've thrown out for someone who's sure. never been bankrupt before. It can be as little as nine months. If you have been bankrupt before, it's as little as two years. And if you're not low income, those timelines are extended by about a year in each case. Okay. So if you think bankruptcy is your way to go and you want more information, certainly make that appointment with Sands and Associates and they're going to walk you through the process. The phone number is 1-800-661-3030 or check out their website, sands-trustee.com. So um, I'm not sure where you want to go at this point. I know that we, that there's things like your duties if you are completing yeah, a personal bankruptcy. Would you like to do that? Okay, yeah. let's do that then because there's some good information here, folks. Oh, Elaine, we could talk for hours about this, and trust me, I love to do That's what I do all day, every day, so it's hard to, you know, to, to condense it down to just a few minutes here, but we're going to try. So okay. what happens when you file for bankruptcy is you've got no further responsibilities to your creditors. You know, you don't have to answer any of their calls. They all get redirected to the trustee, but you do have some responsibilities to the bankrupt estate, is what it's called, and to basically complete the bankruptcy and achieve that discharge from your debt. So some of the tasks are very basic. You'll do them without thinking too much about them. Other are a little bit of work that you've got to keep up on on a monthly basis, but in general, it's all positive steps that are going to help you in the future. So what happens when you're going through the bankruptcy, you have to let us know if there's any big changes to your household, family, or your income. If your income goes way up or way down, if there's different people living at home, so on and so forth, that can impact the scenario of bankruptcy, whether it's a 9 or 21 month scenario, can be based on your income um, and how many people are in the household. You want to keep your trustee informed of your address and your contact information, so generally we can reach you if we need to. Some of the biggest work that you have to do in bankruptcy is actually some of the most worthwhile is that you have to complete a monthly statement of income and expenses or a household budget form for every month you're in bankruptcy. So part of bankruptcy is a financial rehabilitation process. So by keeping a budget every month, you're laser focused on, well, what's the income that's coming in down to the penny and where is that going? How much for rent, food, shelter, so on and so forth. And if there's no debt payments that are now dragging you down, it can be really telling that if your budget still isn't balanced, okay, we've got some choices that we have to make or um, you know issues to resolve. So when you're in bankruptcy, you're required to keep that budget every month and then at least two times during the bankruptcy, and it could be for every month depending on the circumstances, you're going to submit that budget to the trustee and then the trustee is going to validate that yes, the income is there, it's supported by a pay stub, yes, the person's living within their means each month, the budget looks great, okay, this bankruptcy is proceeding according to plan. So when you're in a bankruptcy, the monthly budgeting, I often tell people that's about 80% of the work. So forget about the past. What's going to matter now is that you keep a really good budget, you keep track of things, get yourself on a good financial footing. That's the majority of duties that you'll have to perform in the bankruptcy. The other really important one is you have to attend two financial counseling sessions. So we've talked about them before in the context of both consumer proposals and bankruptcies, the same requirement. They're 45-minute sessions, one-on-one -on -one private sessions, talk to you about great tips for budgeting, for setting financial goals, for rebuilding your 
your credit in the future. People can recover from a bankruptcy in as little as two to three years and be credit worthy enough to get a great mortgage if they're ready for that. So um, not a life sentence and we want to help you with the counseling on how you can recover. So when you file for bankruptcy, you do the monthly budgets, you attend two financial counseling sessions, and the payments that you have to make are generally geared by your income. If you're low income, you just pay a basic bankruptcy fee of around $2,300 over the nine-month period. If you're not low income, it's a percentage of your income that can vary if your income goes up or down. Is there sort of a general rule of thumb about my assets if I file personal bankruptcy? Are there some general things that affect most people? Yeah, the general rule of thumb, Elena, most people, again, this is counterintuitive. What happens to your assets in bankruptcy? Well, generally you keep them. Okay, and that sounds weird, I know, because most people think I file for bankruptcy means that I've surrendered everything, I've got nothing left anymore. Theoretically, that's the case when you file for bankruptcy, you're surrendering your assets, but there's provincial exemptions that say, hey, there's certain assets that you would never have to surrender no matter what. There's public policy benefits to actually leaving somebody with something to reestablish themselves. So in the province of BC, if you have a home, it's not a foregone conclusion. You would lose that if you filed for bankruptcy. There is an equity exemption. Now, it's relatively low in the context of what the market's done recently, but up to $12,000 of equity in the greater Vancouver or greater Victoria area is exempt. If you file for bankruptcy with less than that amount of equity in your home, literally nothing happens in that case. But what's more common is people don't own real estate, but they take advantage of other exemptions, which are household items. So your furniture, um, you know, household furnishings, personal effects, they're exempt up to a value of $4,000 at a garage sale value, which I've never had somebody with more than that for a garage sale. You're allowed an exemption of one vehicle of up to $5,000. Most of the time we see vehicles with loans against them where the equity is far less than $5,000, and that's totally fine. Uh, You're allowed exemptions for your work tools, your tools of the trade of up to $10,000. Anything you need for medical purposes or essential clothing is an unlimited exemption. And then what's hugely important for people to know, and any long-time listeners would know this, your RRSPs are 100% safe. So if you file for bankruptcy, there's nothing you have to surrender from your RRSPs. The only potential exemption is if you've been socking a ton of money in there in the, you know, the year before you filed for bankruptcy, those contributions have to come to pay debt with the logic being, well, maybe you could have paid debt instead of contributing to the RRSPs. But anything that's there for more than 12 months, you do not have to take a penny out that can be protected for you on the other side of the proceeding. What about life insurance policies and, and pension plans, Blair? Yeah, that's important as well. So almost all life insurance policies are exempt. It matters who the beneficiary is. So generally within your family is great. We can give you more information. And every pension plan I've ever seen has been exempt. So people are worried they can lose their pension. That's just not a thing in Canada. You'd never lose your pension for filing for bankruptcy. And first steps for somebody who's wanting to do to file a bankruptcy is sit down with you. Exactly. Come in for a free confidential consultation or meet us online or over the phone and we'll get things going. Awesome. You're listening to Dollars and Cents and you've been listening to Blair Manton from Sands and Associates, helping you get out of debt. The website again, sands-trustee.com. This segment's all about steps to getting professional debt help. Uh, 
learn about working on a personalized debt-free plan with a licensed insolvency trustee. And if you've ever wondered what that's like, what it's like to work with a licensed insolvency trustee, Blair's going to share some details on what you can expect, as well as some pros and cons about common debt management strategies that you might want to consider as you deal with your debt. So first of all, Blair, when is it a good idea for someone to connect with someone like you, a licensed insolvency trustee? Well, it's a good question, Elaine. It can be different in many situations, but the, the takeaway for us is most people wait far too long. They wait until things are very dire before they start to reach out for help, and they suffer for a longer period of time than they needed to because they might not have had the right information at the right time. So we believe everyone should be able to make well-informed decisions on their finances, and anybody can connect with a licensed insolvency trustee when you want to ask questions or get some advice on options or strategy to manage your debt. So it could be for yourself, it could be for a family member, it could be just for personal interest. But when you have questions, when you have concerns, when you're maybe facing an issue about debt, a licensed insolvency trustee is the best person you could ever see because in Canada, we're the only professionals fully recognized and endorsed by the federal government to actually help people deal with their debt. So only a licensed insolvency trustee can file a bankruptcy. A lawyer can't help you with that. You've got to see a trustee. Only a trustee can help you with a consumer proposal, which helps vast majority of people avoid a bankruptcy and maybe they're not even aware of that option. So when you sit down with a licensed insolvency trustee, you know, sometimes it's various situations that might bring you to see us. It could be things like general information about dealing with a debt. It could be understanding your legal rights and remedies about who's responsible for a debt. Do you inherit a debt? Do you get, when you get married, do you take on the other person's debt? We'll give very, very clear guidance about that. Sometimes people are facing an urgent crisis or a conflict with a creditor. There could be a wage garnishment. There could be legal action being taken against you. As a trustee, we have the power to intervene and stop those things. Uh, sometimes people aren't facing, you know, a severe crisis, but they just realize, hey, I'm just stuck making minimum payments. I've had people tell me, oh, it feels like I'm on the hamster wheel. I'm just going around and around. I'm giving money every single month, but I'm not getting anywhere. The debts aren't actually going down. Uh, we can definitely, you know, change the script on that by helping people, you know, freeze the interest and perhaps do a proposal. And in some cases, people through, you know, sometimes it's some inadvertence or just not paying attention over time. They've just got a number of debts out there they haven't paid attention to. They've got bad credit all around. They just need a reset. They need to get everything back to zero, get things on track and start fresh. So whatever the situation, our job is to help with debt. And it all starts with a, a free confidential consultation. I was about to say in-person consultation, but that's pre-COVID, Elaine, um, yeah. because as of now, the vast majority of people that we're seeing were now reopened to the public for in-person, but most people are opting for video conference or telephone meetings. We're able to do everything electronically and remotely now, so it's easier than ever before. Folks don't need to take time off work or pay tolls on bridges or things like that. Um, you know, Essentially, they can just come in and see us virtually at, at their leisure. Excellent. And I, I do want to emphasize that that first sit down meeting is free. It's really just good information that somebody can get and then figure out next steps and what to do. I, I just think that's terrific. Um, so what, ha what else happens during that first consultation? And, and Blair, is there something that I need to do to prepare before I come in the door or uh, log on to your site or uh, Zoom with you? 
you know, the most important thing, and, you know, you've heard this before, half of everything is just showing up. I'd say it's probably 80% is, is just showing up when you're meeting with a trustee. So there's nothing formal that you need to prepare. Uh, we're going to sit down. It's going to be a, a supportive conversation, and we're just going to try to understand your situation. So some people come in, you know, very well prepared with copies of, you know, bills and pay stubs and tax returns. Others, they know what they've been living these past, you know, weeks, months, or years. So we can just start with a general conversation in that way. But unless you're showing up to the meeting, it's pretty tough to move forward. So again, a lot of people are hesitant to, to make the meeting or sometimes people sign up for the meeting and then they get nervous, but you know, they're not coming here to be judged. They're coming here to be helped. So as soon as we can start to open that conversation, open that dialogue, things can flow pretty naturally from there. So in the first consultation, we want to understand the situation the person's been facing. So we'll start by asking, you know, why you're seeking debt advice today and do you have any specific goals or issues that we want or can be able to help you with? We'll try to understand who you owe money to and roughly how much to get a sense of what the remedies are and if you even need our help, for example. You need to understand your household situation, um, who lives at home, is everybody working, are there other constraints, are there medical issues that have impacted income, and then we have to understand are there any assets. So, you know, we, we talk sometimes, Elaine, about, you know, the person with the house worth millions of dollars with no mortgage, you know, that person has to pay their debts in full, but for people who don't have sufficient assets to pay their debts, a whole plethora of opportunities are open to them in terms of being able to reduce or eliminate their debt through either a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal. And listen, if you're, if you're already hearing this information and know there's no question about it that you need to do something and take some action, uh, the number for Sands & Associates is 1-800-661-3030, the website sands-trustee.com. So if the person says, yep, I want to move forward after that first meeting, uh, what, what's the next thing I need to do or what's the next thing I can expect, Blair? Well, if you decide that you want to move forward with something like a consumer proposal, it's pretty straightforward to get the proposal underway. You know, generally, if you have your information fairly organized, within just a matter of a few days, we can have legal documents ready uh, for you to review, and then we meet together to sign those documents. Once the documents have been signed, we send them out to your creditors, and immediately once the documents are signed, you've got protection. So you've got the trustee basically stepping in like a referee between you and the people that you owe money to, making sure you can't be harassed anymore, making sure if there's any wages being seized, that stops immediately. Uh, and then we're going to work to get your proposal accepted. So after you've signed the documents, about 45 days from then is when we know we've got an accepted consumer proposal. And then the person just makes those monthly payments. Um, under personal bankruptcy, it's relatively similar in terms of getting things going. It's a matter of a few days to prepare the documents. Um, bankruptcy generally lasts for a shorter amount of time than a consumer proposal. Um, there's definitely some different duties to perform. We'll go through those in another segment, I know. But one thing that's really important for people to note is under both remedies of either a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal, you get really detailed, one-on-one, -on -one specific, supportive financial counseling. So the idea of people doing repeat bankruptcies or repeat consumer proposals is not what we're trying to achieve. We want to give everybody the tools, the skills, the information that they need so that going forward, they can have a better financial future, a better credit rating, hopefully some savings, an emergency fund. So when you're doing either a proposal or a bankruptcy, it's bigger than just dealing with the debt. It's also about giving you the counseling, the tools, the tips, techniques, everything that you'll need um, to hopefully be able to avoid a financially difficult situation in the future, if it is possible to do so. Again, there can be some circumstances, even, you know, the best thing that you did, it's still, you still needed our help, but we'll give you the best tools that you can to try to deal with most situations.
And and only a licensed insolvency trustee. Uh, there's what a thousand across the country. Is that still the number that uh, that we mm-hmm. we've got? Yeah, in, in and around there. So it's a pretty small group of individuals. And just to give you a sense of it, so at Sands & Associates, we're the largest firm in BC in terms of helping individuals and small businesses. And we have six licensed insolvency trustees. So that's you know a fair concentration of trustees. And again, <laughs> yeah. about 1,000 in Canada. Um, so when you're dealing with a trustee, you're dealing with someone that's been given a license by Industry Canada, went through a rigorous course of study, and is subject to regulation from the Office of the Superintendent of Bankruptcy, uh, it's definitely, you know, it's a very important credential, and uh, definitely everyone at Sands and Associates, we're in it for the same reasons. We want to help people out of tough situations, so you know when you're dealing with a licensed insolvency trustee, you're not going to pay anything up front. You'll never have to pay a fee to see the trustee, you know, the first second, third, however many meetings it takes for you to make your decision are all at no charge. And it's only when you decide to move forward, if you decide to move forward with either a consumer proposal or a personal bankruptcy, what you have to pay is all set by government tariffs. So there's nothing the trustee is setting a price based on other factors. Everything is well-regulated, well-transparent. So people can generally rest very easy knowing they're in good hands when they're dealing with a licensed insolvency trustee. Yeah, and that first meeting, just to be able to sit down and say, okay, this is my situation, what do you think? That's so key because maybe a consumer proposal or bankruptcy isn't the best option for you, but the best news is that uh, you at Sands & Associates are going to help that person be able to make that decision and move forward regardless of the path that they choose. Uh, I think that's uh, just a, a good reminder for you. Also a good reminder, you're listening to Dollars & Cents with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates, helping you get out of debt. So we're going to talk about, can a person get a mortgage after a bankruptcy or consumer proposal? And it's such a great question because, I mean, I've been doing the show for a little bit, Blair, but I have no idea. It sounds like it it's an impossibility, but I'm sure you're going to tell us that it's not. Well, absolutely, Elaine. You know, a lot of people, um, you know, they have a preconceived notion. And sometimes I've even seen lenders communicate this or sometimes in, you know, friendly Q&As you see on, on you know, some, some publications from a bank, for example. They say, you know, declaring bankruptcy is a lifelong stain on your record and you may never be able to qualify for credit again. Uh, we're going to talk today, Elaine, about how bankruptcy can actually enable people to be in a much better financial system situation that can allow them to, to qualify for a mortgage and taking some of the suspense away, but definitely listen to, to learn this. It's as little as two years after you finish the bankruptcy, you can be credit worthy again and get a mortgage. So I talk about all that in detail, but uh, in a summary, there's absolutely hope and it's often a shorter route than trying to chisel yourself out from under an impossible debt burden and not being able to save any money for, you know, 10 or 20 years because you're just paying off debt, for example. And I know that credit history, that kind of thing, is going to come into this discussion. And we've talked before about how a credit history impact of bankruptcy or doing a consumer proposal is pretty concerning for people. So can you first talk about or explain what credit impacts these options and and what they have in common? Certainly. And, you know, the key thing to take in to keep in mind when you're talking about credit history impacts is everything is temporary. There's nothing that's going to be a permanent stain on your credit report. The longest something is going to last on your credit report is generally six years. Um, and that even includes, you know, a bankruptcy and a proposal. So you'll definitely be able to move forward. Your history with problem debt is not going to be following you for the rest of your life uh, as long as you do take some actions. So what happens when you restructure your debt? There's two remedies a licensed insolvency trustee can help with. Uh, one is a consumer 
consumer proposal. And a consumer proposal is where you consolidate all of your debt together. You pay back what you're able to afford. So often it's a significant discount to the, to the amount owing. Maybe it's 20 or 30 cents on the dollar in many cases. And you avoid a bankruptcy. So under a consumer proposal, what happens with your credit rating um, is when you finish the proposal, um, it's either going to last for as long as six years from the day you signed it or one year, uh, sorry, or three years from the day you've paid it off. So the, lo- the longest possible impact you'll have is six years from the day you sign the proposal. And a lot of the times proposals are for five years of payments. So generally a year after your last payment, you'll hit that six-year maximum um, and the proposal is going to drop off your credit report at that point like it never happened, as well as all the problem debt that was included in the proposal. Uh, in some cases, proposals are for a single payment. It's a lump sum. So sometimes it's friends or family members helping somebody out, saying the person is very uh, much overextended. Um, friends and family are going to help pay back maybe 15 cents in the dollar as a lump sum. If it's a proposal with just a single payment, that comes off your credit report three years after it's made. So it's from a range of as little as three years to as much as six years. It's nowhere near you know, your, your full life. It's nowhere near something that's going to, to really dictate your financial future for decades to come. Um, the other option that uh, clients can choose when they're dealing with a licensed insolvency trustee is to file for personal bankruptcy. And personal bankruptcy is always your last resort. It's when nothing else works, when you're not able to pay the debt off, when a proposal just is not affordable, or maybe there's some other factors there. But personal bankruptcy is a legal solution that allows you to have full forgiveness of your debts if you're unable to pay them off or to continue to make payments. Most people, when they file for bankruptcy, and this is usually a surprise, uh, they finish the bankruptcy in as little as nine months. And what happens with your credit rating impact is from the day that you're discharged, the bankruptcy disappears six years after that. So some people think bankruptcy takes seven years. It absolutely does not. It often takes nine months. There's a credit history impact for six years after that, but it's absolutely possible to rebuild your credit far more quickly than those six-year time periods. Okay. Now, before we get to the next question, I just want to share that if you're already thinking, okay, now uh, this is what I need to do. I need to sit down and talk to somebody about it. Talk to Blair. Talk to a licensed insolvency trustee. Uh, so I'm going to give you uh, the phone number for Sands and Associates. It's 1-800-661-3030 or the website. You can easily uh, make an appointment and go through the website, and that is sands-trustee.com. So, Blair, can you talk about more... Um, about getting a new mortgage after a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal? Like, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of things that one needs to keep in mind and move forward with. Yeah, the first thing to keep in mind is it is possible. It's absolutely achievable. And for sure, if someone's listening here, they can start to, you know, do some Googling about, you know, mortgage after bankruptcy, and you will find a whole plethora of individuals who talk about their experiences or mortgage brokers who'll coach you on how to, you know, really improve your credit. But when you're in a bankruptcy or a proposal, you can apply for credit at any time, but it's recommended that you complete the proceeding first. So complete the bankruptcy or complete the consumer proposal, get everything squared away, uh, and then look to rebuild your credit. Uh, typical mainstream mortgage lenders, they can approve a new mortgage at standard lending rates. So we're not talking some crazy risk premium because you've been through a bankruptcy if it's been two years since you finished either your consumer proposal or your bankruptcy. So again, clients are always shocked to hear it's as little as two years, but that is the fact. That's the guidelines that lenders put out there. Um, and if you think about it logically, it tends to make sense because most people are significantly better credit risks after bankruptcy than they would have been before because after 
after the bankruptcy. They have no debt. They just came through a legal proceeding that nobody takes lightly. So the next person that loans the money is probably going to get a customer for life and going to get someone that's really focused on honoring all of their obligations going forward. Um, you know, even if you're trying to get a mortgage sooner than two years, there are some subprime lenders that might look at you, but I tend to advise people that the costs of that are so significant, you're probably better, you know, just to wait two years after the bankruptcy uh, and then look to apply at that point. Um, when you're at that point of two years after, your credit history shouldn't show any of the overextended debt, but you've got to be taking some steps, um, hopefully either during the proposal or, or bankruptcy, you know, to start accumulating a down payment. And then really important as well is to check for and resolve any errors in your credit bureau files. Um, everybody that finishes a proceeding with us, when we send them either a certificate of discharge in a bankruptcy or a certificate of full performance in a proposal, we also send along a form saying, hey, it's probably a good idea to check your credit report after a few months just to make sure everything's been updated correctly. We talk a lot, Elaine, about you know the various issues and errors on people's credit reports, and the time to learn about that is not when you're in the mortgage broker's office trying to get approved for something. Uh, it's to really be proactive and get your credit report shortly after you've finished um, either your bankruptcy or proposal, and it's going to be important to see that all the debts are updated, but lenders are also going to look at things that are pretty positive to show stability, things like steady income, the length of time that you've been at your current address. Lenders are also going to look at, do you have savings or do you have other assets? Uh, but absolutely, if people are thinking it's hopeless after either a bankruptcy or a proposal, you'll never get a mortgage again. Well, how is two years? Two years of really good behavior, good credit rebuilding, and you can potentially qualify for a mortgage again. Now, I know there's a bunch of things we could I could ask you in the last minute and a half, um, but I was curious, it, can you go over how easy it is to get your credit report uh, from the various organizations because it's it always sounds pretty easy and just in case somebody doesn't know and they will and this might be a first step for them. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's close on two things, Elaine. So one, it's very, very easy to get your report, and legally, the credit bureaus have to provide it to you once per year at no charge to you. So you can go to either Equifax or TransUnion's website. Since the pandemic, they've started to give free online access to your credit reports. You can also visit our website, sandstrustee.com or sands-trustee.com. If you click on client resources, there's a form you can send away um, to get copies of your credit report by the mail. And then just one last point for people to take away is there is no such thing as fast track or quick or overnight credit score repair. Typically, errors on a, or issues on a credit report took a while to get there, and they can't be defeated overnight. So if you're seeing someone that's making unreasonable promises, it probably is the case you'll pay some fees and not get a result. So just be aware it does take time to fix a credit report. Um, but you know, two years after a proceeding, you could have great credit again and get a mortgage. And Blair mentioned the website, it's sands-trustee.com. And on top of the information about credit reports and how to get them, etc., it's also such a good website uh, for questions answered. So many good uh, questions and just really thorough, thoughtful answers on those if we didn't quite, uh, quite answer everything that you were thinking about. The website again, sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the ring.